0: Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Toro. Golfers get custom fit clubs for longer, straighter shots. Now, using the adjustable technology on Toro's new Greensmaster 1000 series walk green mower, superintendents can dial in operator performance for precise, consistent cuts. The Greensmaster's telescoping handle has five different positions, so the operator's posture will be as perfect as a tour Pro's, whether he's tall and skinny or short and husky. And the handle's rubber mounts have just enough cushion to prevent any hand movements from influencing the cut. Sounds like Toros solved the mower yips. Maybe they can fix the putting yips next. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo today. We are back with another edition of our superintendent series. Today, I am joined by Mountain Lakes Director of Grounds Tony Nice. Tony is a longtime superintendent, ton of experience working at a lot of great clubs in the southeast, such as Long Cove, uh, Pine Tree, most recently Old Marsh, and now he just accepted the and he just got the job up at Mountain Lake uh, this year. So Tony joined me. He's a big architecture nut, was actually involved with Friars Head's uh, construction crew as a college intern. And uh, so we talked all across the board about, you know, everything from architecture to maintenance. So without further ado, here's Tony Nice. on that they went last year for the first time on that golf mm-hmm. trip and they're going back this year they like love it they think it's like the best golf I, I think it's like some probably one of the best affordable golf trips you can it, you it's can do. it's
1: awesome and the there so so my my last day in michigan um my i watched my brother play uh, a high school basketball game at, at my my uh high school that i went to. And um, my dad said, Hey, I, I need you to meet somebody before you leave. He's got, a, he's thinking about building a golf course and just wants some thoughts on two architects. So I'm like, all right. So that, that, that's right up my alley. I walk across the, the, uh, the floor and a gentleman says, Hey, you know, my name is so-and-so and I'm thinking about building a golf course. He says, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at Jerry Matthews and I'm looking at Mike DeVries. And I'm like, oh man. Um, Okay. I said, you know, Jerry's kind of generic. I said, there's a lot of Jerry's in Michigan. Um, I said, you're going to get a safe design. You're going to get something that is going to appeal to a certain, certain level of of people and probably going to get something that, you know, not going to cause too much ripples. I says, but Mike, Mike's going to do something really cool. That's just who he is. He's going to shape bunkers and greens and, I says, he's just going to do something really cool that is, is probably going to, you know, garner attention that you want, especially at a public golf course and, you know, something really unique. And and I gave him some examples of diamond Springs and pilgrims run and, and stuff. And, and, um, not say I had anything to do with it, but he ended up hiring Mike and man, I think the mines was top five best new affordable when it opened in '06 six or something like that. And, um, Long story short, my dad ends uh, Chris Shoemaker, who helped develop Pilgrim's Run, ends up came over from Diamond Springs and became the superintendent at the mines. And then my dad went to work at the mines and still works there 30, 35 hours a week. And, it, you know, the mines actually, when I was in elementary school, and so like, take class trips on the mines and walk and learn about the, the gypsum deposits that were put in there. Um, so it's kind of a cool little full circle thing that over the, Forty years, almost forty years, I've been on this or this earth to, to kind of see come to fruition. Pretty cool. The the mines is an incredible spot. It's uh, awesome it's, spot. And I mean, it's so
0: it's five minutes from downtown Grand Rapids. It is.
1: it is, and you would never. And it doesn't feel like Grand Rapids. You don't hear the highway really, other than when a little bit by number six, I think it is. Um, and it, you know, it just they they hit a home run there. They're they're always sold out. Uh, they got great clientele. It's a good architectural design for what forty, fifty bucks, and and if you want to do that whole Devries trip, like you were just explaining, you can do it on a weekend and and probably for about what two hundred bucks or something, two hundred fifty bucks, play yeah. three really good golf courses.
0: Yeah, yeah. I from a, from a maintenance standpoint, I I love and I can't. I've probably talked about it a hundred times on this podcast, but Diamond Springs to me. From with just the single mow, you know, big gang mowers out there, and right into the greens, and then you know, the mm-hmm. single row irrigation is sure. like that. Is what public affordable golf should be. It's it's just you know you could tell that they they can maintain that thing on a on a tight budget, and it's you know, the the native
1: is some of the best native I've ever played out of. Sure, and there there the cool thing there is. They're, they've never tried to be someone they're not at diamond springs i i had uh i had a chance i played with greg johnson who used to write for the grand rapids press on opening day there and uh i remember during the growing that chris shoemaker who, who i mentioned earlier he was asking around for park masters and nobody could figure it out you know this was right at the time when all these lightweight barrowing moors were coming out and and he, you know, he's going around and piecing one park master together with another park master to, to make, you know, to to mow all these areas all at one height. And he was, he was, you know, the only one at the time that was was going that direction. And yeah, all the tees are mowed at one height. All the rough is is what you know. It's kind of like Augusta that way. It's just all one cut throughout. And uh, I don't know what they mow it now, but I I would much different different.
0: Yeah, the uh, that those back the last five holes are just incredible out there too. Uh-huh. I mean, the the, the uh-huh. really the first first six first five are incredible because they got the great green complex. I mean, that, nope. that's just an amazing golf course. Um, how do, so? You're talking about you know giving architect advice. You were in high school or were you in college at that point? I was
1: I was 21, uh, getting ready to leave for. Uh, an assistance job at Long Cove. And I had spent, uh, I, I was one of the first uh, GCA guys actually way back in the day. And um, so I remember I was in my, my dorm room at Michigan State and I had an internship already lined up with Mark Michaud at and I And I get this call from a 561 number and I'm like, you know, cell phones back in the day. I'm like, do I want to answer this? this is it going to take up my minutes? Am I roaming? All that stuff. <laughs> was and it, I, was I, it I, one
0: like, of the Motorola StarTech? Yeah, it of was.
1: <laughs> it, it was. And then I'm just like, oh, man, I'm a college kid. And 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 I, my first semester of college, I had a girlfriend at the time and, and uh you know, we we were in love, and so we talked on the phone. And I had like a three hundred dollar cell phone bill that my parents just raked me over the coals on. So it was like shortly after that. So I was really hesitant to answer a phone call, and it Kenny Bats. and he got my number through Golf Club Atlas, and says, "Hey, I'm I'm building a golf course, and I I'm looking for interns, and I think you you know we have an opportunity here to show you." You know some of the things that that you talk about on Golf Club Atlas that you want to see, and I'd mentioned that I already had a an an internship lined up, and, and uh, but it intrigued me enough because I was I was into that. I I uh, I used to draw um, golf holes on my church bulletins uh, growing up, uh, <laughs> and my bunker my bunkering at the time was much more like Reese Jones when I look back on it, but. Uh, <laughs>
0: I, <laughs> If I, if I could find my early designs, they were they were extraordinarily penal. I'll, I'll you know like when I was a kid, I would draw just these ridiculous holes with water everywhere. I mean.
1: And I, you know, it's funny. I'm still kind of bitter because I remember after uh, I, I, my so any anyway, I get an opportunity to go to to Friars I call up Martin Shad, and who was the superintendent at the time at Shinnecock, and um, I tell him about it, and he says, "Oh." that's going to be a really good one. And you and were so supposed I ended- to work there. I was, I was supposed to do a, you know, a top 10 golf course maintenance wise, you know, maintain grass, learn about fertility and cultural practices. And, and, um, I just kind of felt that that's always going to be there. And this is a once in a lifetime chance to build a golf course. I, I can always go back in the turf because that's what I'm studying to do. And, um, my professor at Michigan State kind of fought me on it because he had never played Shinnecock. And so he, uh, he, wanted, he wanted an op- opportunity to go out there and play golf during the internship. What so, a selfish um, I, guy. Yeah, I'm like, come on. And uh, I stuck my heels in a, l- a little bit as much as I could as a, as a 20-year-old, a 19, 20-year-old, and um, spent, spent two summers out at, at uh, Friars Head. And I worked with Chris Hunt, who went on in the uh, the architectural field for for quite a while. I uh, did a bunch of work with uh, Tom Doak. and um, so I've never seen Friars Head in person, um, really, and in a, in an open position. I left about three or four weeks before it actually opened. So I, we did we did a lot of bunker work there. We did a lot of greens tie-ins. Um, you know, the 16th green, Chris and I spent about two weeks on uh, you know, it's 3000 square feet, 3,200 square feet. And, and Bill Coor wanted, you know, he wanted eight, eight, uh, pinning locations on there and we got it pretty close to where he wanted it. And we took about a three inch rain in an hour and it washed it all out oh down to the left into that swale and everything. And, um, so I, I spent a lot of time just doing that detail stuff work. I, I worked, we worked a lot with Jeff working on bunker work there and, uh, the, the chunking, you know, a lot of the chunks, uh, for Friars Heads bunkers at the time came from that big field to the, uh, to the left, to the, to the West of the, uh, the hole there. And, um, just really going through it. I remember the first, he gave me a paint gun and, uh, the first couple of bunkers I painted for cutting in. Were the right fairway bunkers on 13 and he scratched them out and he says, we're not doing, we're not doing Reese Jones stuff. I remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, I just kind of laughed and, and um, I, but it was a credible experience. I remember we, uh, Bill, Bill Coor commenting that, that, that that was going to be a property that would always need some tweaking because it, it moves, you know, the dunes, when you get up to 14, 15, 16, move with the wind every year and how the golf course would always need some subtle adjustments and um Nate you know nature would really be you know dictating that that golf course and it you know the pictures I've seen now don't look anything like when I left it almost 20 years ago now um and it look it's gorgeous now all the the tees were originally squared off tees and now they're all tie-ins to the shortcuts around the greens and real free-flowing now and it, it it's it's aged very very well it's awesome. looks fantastic one one day i'll get back up there and and see the place
0: that's something that i think's crazy about the architecture world is how how many guys that work on these projects never see the the finished or the mature product they don't they don't
1: and you know you have guys like like um you know Tom Doak still goes around and visits a lot of his places and you know you hear you know stories of some of the the architects now they they go back to visit because they're brought back in to to change something or or it's been 15 years and they want to make some adjustments and stuff and it goes to show how busy some of those guys are that they just can't do that free free for all traveling where you know Brian. Brian uh, just traveled the Midwest here. I think Tom just traveled the Midwest seeing you know, all these golf courses. It's just kind of unheard of because they they just don't have the ability to do a lot of that stuff because they're so busy.
0: In terms of that experience as a, you know, going and doing the construction crew stuff as an intern, what do you how do you think that experience helped you down the road versus doing the standard internship?
1: Um I think I think that it gave me a different appreciation for architecture. Um, I kind of fell into architecture in in my enjoyment for it. Not necessarily intentionally. I used to collect a lot of scorecards and just kind of observe the differences in golf courses. And I I thought I really want to go in the architectural field for for a while um, and travel and build and all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, I, I've I've been afforded some opportunities to work on some um, some golf courses with with architectural merit, um, one way or another. Um, and and I think it's a I've been more selective in where I've had the opportunity to work because of it. Um, I've always wanted to work at a golf course that you know is is not just greatly you know really well maintained, but that just has some sort of architectural history or merit or maybe it was cutting edge at the time. Um, you know, being at pine tree, that's many consider that to be Wilson's greatest golf course. <laughs> um, and in pine tree is just pure golf. And you stand on, you stand on the sixth hole there and you can see seven holes on the front side. And it's a lot of, a lot of golf courses aren't built that way anymore. And it's just a, you know, long Cove is just a, so far different than Harbor Town, even though they are three miles up the road and, and, and that Pete built it right after TPC and you you couldn't have two more different golf courses built by the same architect in the same, in the same window. Um, Just some really cool stuff that I, I picked up along the way, just kind of understanding and liking and enjoying architecture being a little more selective, I guess, or, or certainly enjoying, you know, trying to change, you know, fairway mowing lines and, Tie-ins and certain things like that, because uh, I think I, I had a good eye for that kind of stuff. Yeah, when you were a
0: kid, you obviously with your dad in the industry, I imagine that played a big role in you getting out and being on a golf course all the time. Was there a moment where you where you caught the architecture bug, or was it just the thing that you know you like to draw golf holes as a kid, and it grew
1: from there? <laughs> well, I was always I was always interested. According to my parents. They, they, my dad, the golf course. My dad was at. They built nine holes extra when they put some condos on the golf course. And my mom tells me as a kid that she used to just take me to the golf course and we would sit in the car and watch the bulldozers and the, the dump trucks and and the excavators just go. And still this day, if there's a if there's construction on the highway, I got I'm I'm rubbernecking because I want to see if is that a three thirty, is that a three oh seven, is that a D six. Um it just kind of hit me the fact that I could enjoy seeing construction and be on a golf course at the same time was, was just an epiphany to me. Like it it was awesome. And, and I certainly couldn't, uh, I remember the first time I got on a bulldozer and, and trying to figure out how do you operate this? There's no steering wheel here. How do you, how do you possibly operate this thing? Um, so I, I just kind of enjoyed construction and, and machinery, and uh, it just kind of led into to architecture and having an uh, enjoyment of uh, kind of putting the two together.
0: Yeah, it's, it makes sense. I think uh, like just being around the game as a kid is, is half the battle because you sure you know, at sure. least a, a rapid development of the golf brain, you know. Uh, sure. 100%. So uh, with you, you get into the industry. Your first job was at Long Cove? Correct. My, yeah, my first job out
1: of school, um, other than just kind of wrapping up the assistant chef I was an assistant at a, a a course up the street that my dad worked at. Just a nice little country club for about six months uh, before the position at Long Cove opened up. My my other college roommate. I had two college roommates. I, I'm sorry, I had three college roommates. One was Kyle Heglin of Sand Hills. Mm-hmm. And another one, his, his name was Brian Brace, and I, I don't believe he's in the business anymore. But he was from Buford, South Carolina. So I went with, on spring break with him once to to play golf down there, and uh, we went to Hilton Head and Savannah, uh, Charleston. And um, I remember crossing and seeing the front entrance of Long Cove and thinking, "That's I want. I just I want to work there someday." And uh, I remember when the job came available, and uh, I, I enjoyed my time in the Low Country. Um, and so, um, uh, I spent about four years at Long Cove, um, from 03 to 07. Um, and a new superintendent, Ashley Davis, who's still there was, I was his hire. I was a, uh, I was a damn Yankee compared to him. I was, <laughs> I was uptight. I was not from South Carolina. So I was uh, a little more, uh, not as laid back as maybe Ashley, uh, liked to be, but, uh, developed a really good internship program there and and basically you do an internship there he just keeps inviting guys back to work for him it's been a long lineage of of good uh, assistants that have come through there that have moved on to good superintendent jobs um, throughout the southeast and and, uh, even into Texas a little bit Um, and guys that have been successful and worked their way up to become CGCSs and and, uh, volunteer on the board of Georgia and South Carolina, uh, for the, uh, uh, the Carolinas chapters and stuff like that. And, and Ashley's done, uh, done a really good job there for oh, man coming up on 20 years now. Yeah,
0: so long Cove, you also worked at another die course, old marsh. That was your, your latest position before you took the job at mountain lake. D- contrast, I think this is, you know, and you hit on it a little bit with the, with the stadium course and, and Harbor town, how unique and different each of those properties were for Dye's,
1: uh, you know, in Dye's portfolio. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, you know, in th- third, fourth grade, when I started collecting scorecards, I remember Lynx Magazine had just come out, and they were, you know, giving out free magazines to everyone to help build up their image and, and get their the word out. And I remember seeing um, the sixth hole in, in an advertisement at from, from old Marsh. And, um, I, I wrote them and they sent a scorecard and a video and a, bro, a brochure and all that stuff. And, um, it always had an idea, always wanted to see old Marsh. And, um, I actually, I interviewed there the season before long Cove and I turned it down, uh, as an assistant cause they, they still had bent grass there. And, Oh my gosh. I, the G2 Bentgrass, which in hindsight was probably only fun for about three months out of the year. And it was just, had to be a slog after that. Uh So blazing hot and in a marsh where water levels are high and, you know, in the summertime stagnant humidity. And uh, so I, I, I always had it on my radar and um drastically different golf course, much, old marsh is much more in line with, you know, TPC, uh, than long cove was much more like Harbor town than, than long cove was, you know, smaller greens, smaller targets, um, a lot more, you know, water that is, is in play as opposed to kind of parallel to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, uh, when that position came open, I was, I had been at pine tree for almost six years at that time. And, um, just looking for a new challenge they uh, they were getting ready to do a renovation and um, they offered me the position and pretty much my first week there, they said, Hey, we're, we're renovating in 11 months. We don't have one contract signed. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, they, they were working with Chris Lutski, who Chris um, a die protege. That was Chris's first job back in 86, 87. Um, so, Chris Chris did a lot of the shaping. Uh, we had the whole property GPS by Scott Poole down to the tenth of an inch. Um, the goal of that project was to not change the golf course, but because the county changed the water levels in the property, it caused half-inch rain, drains would fill up with water, bunkers would have water in them. Um, it, so the property didn't drain like like Pete originally designed it. So we brought. We ended up bringing in 3,700 dump trucks load, load worth of fill uh, to essentially raise the whole property out of the marsh line a minimum of, I think it was two and a half feet, so that all the drain lines were out of the waterways and that unless the county decided to change the water levels again, the golf course now it wouldn't play fast and firm all the time. There wouldn't be standing water in fairways and standing water in, in waste bunkers and stuff like that. And so um, if you played old marsh prior to 2015 and then played it after 2016, you'd hardly know the golf course was redone. That talk about a crazy project. Yes, it was, you know, they talked about putting drainages, uh, drainage in with a massive, like 30 different pumps to pump water around the property. And, and it was just kind of agreed that, even if the water levels are high and all these pumps worked, you're still you're just moving water from one spot to the next. And, um, you know, the Old Marsh was designed for, you know, I remember Pete was on the sixth fair. It was one of the last times he was there, and he saw how many people were playing the golf course and just couldn't believe how much golf was out there. You know, it was designed for 60, 70 rounds a day, and it was doing twice that. Um, so the golf course the, the, the usage of the golf course changed in the 25 years, 30 years between building and the renovation that, you know, having two or three days being walking only in the middle of the heart of your season, because you didn't have cart paths and water levels were high. Just, it just wasn't an option anymore. Um, so, I mean, the only, we changed a little bit of the sixth green, we changed the ninth green a little bit and we added a pin on 16. That was it. The sixth hole is the blind one, right? The fifth hole is the blind one. Fifth,
0: yep. that's I remember that I played that course uh over ten years ago now I just remember that hole that is a neat hole
1: very kind, you know it's it's like uh it's it's similar to the fifth at long Cove and it was uh like the old twelfth at t p c um it was just kind of an era that Pete was in you know that uh, i think i think PGA West has one too um mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong on that. Um, but there was three or four, uh, the, the original uh, Ford plantation that he built in 88, the fifth hole there was a blind, uh, par four as well, short. Um, and there was talk during the renovation about putting a T on there and, and, and back farther, uh, kind of by the fourth green. And I remember Pete just saying that's not, that wasn't the intention of the hole. It was supposed to be blind. You're supposed to hit a seven, eight, nine iron into it. Um, and, you know, the closer you hit to the right along the waterway, the better opportunity you have to see the green. And um, it's still, you know, when I left, it was still controversy. Uh, the the ongoing joke was if we ever ran out of fill on the golf course, we'd just dig up the big mound there on five and, and fill, fill a fairway in with it and raise a fairway up. <laughs> uh, what,
0: recreating. So talk us through a little bit like the process of, you know, you laser it. And then how do you guys rebuild a golf course to sure. exactly spec?
1: So Scott Poole, for those that don't know Scott Poole, Scott Scott has actually won some 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 awards for his GPS technology. Um, he typically uh, you know, he worked with Wingfoot doing all their greens here in the last couple of years of of shooting them to the grades and then they rebuilt the greens and put all the grades back um, he does a lot of stuff with Augusta uh, making sure all those grades go exactly back to where they were original uh, original before the con- reconstruction so Scott was actually on the crew uh, at Old Marsh originally as well back in 86 87 um, so it's kind of a labor of love for him to come back and, and um, so he sets up his beacons And he shot, he started on the first hole and shot the whole thing. I think, um, everything was in 20 yard increments, 20, 20 yard, 20, no, yeah. 25 yard increments. Uh, the greens were a little bit tighter. Um, it took him about four weeks to shoot the whole golf course. And so all that data that he saved went into a file that was downloaded on the uh, track on the bulldozers that, um, so the property level, uh, the waterways were 16 feet, six inches is where the water was. And we had it in our heads that the, a minimum, I think it was 17 and a half feet is what the minimum would be outside uh, when the pumps would kick on in the property. And so there would be there was a beacon uh, up by the the ninth green up on a hill there. And all that information would go into the bulldozers and the, the blade on the dozer would move. You just had to sit in it so we actually had an assistant that would sit in the thing two three four hours a day and just as dump trucks would come in just pushing piles out knowing they weren't making cuts or anything like that um but the blade would just move along with the the level of the gps um and seriously to to the almost to the t all the little fairway contours were put back so there's there's 800 drains in the fairways at old marsh and every drain got a riser put on it and got cut off and the you know all the 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 material got worked back to the drains so the drains lines were all cleaned out and but the fairway contouring and the subtleness and the the low profile of of old marsh uh, to kind of fit you know the the surrounds was all put back if a fairway raised up a foot, a tee got raised up a foot. Uh, if, if if a fairway was raised up a foot, the green was raised up a foot. The bunker floors are raised up a foot. All the mounding was raised up a foot. I mean, it was it 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 is almost identical to what was original. It just sits basically somewhere between two and three feet higher than what it did in eighty six eighty seven.
0: With with the courses down there, obviously there's. Not a ton of topographical movement that helps move water, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be at Pine Tree or Old Marsh, and you know, obviously, Marsh, you know, Old Marsh, as the name would suggest, is sitting in a marsh. <laughs> um, how you
1: know, is drainage
0: kind of like an ongoing challenge as a superintendent day to day?
1: Yeah, you, you know, it's it's interesting because when, when we first open up old marsh the second time, so after the renovation, you know, there was the misconception of, well, we're going to play fast and firm all the time, even if it rains, well, you're you're still draining into a marsh. And if that marsh is high, the water's only going to go so far. Um, And we always, the, the ongoing joke was it's, it's not called old Hills golf club. It's it's old marsh. (laughs) We're, we're down, we're down in a marsh, whether we, we like it or not. Um, You know, being, being here at mountain lake, I can count on one hand how many drains we have in fairway and everything perches and and drains. We, we drain infinitely better than what we did, uh, when I was at old marsh. Um, but old, old marsh and pine trees. So you're always just trying to move water because, you know, generally South Florida is relatively flat and, you know, if the marshes are high, the golf course is going to play softer. And if the marshes are low, the water's got a place to go and, and you can drain quicker. Um, but I don't, I don't know if fast and firm other than certain times, certain specific times a year, the consistency of fast and firm for 12 months will ever be good in South Florida, if you will, um, which is good and bad. I think a lot of the, the, the people that play in South Florida, the members and people that come down for the seasonal stuff, get the best, best, uh, best of the crop, if you will. Um, but if you're not if you're not putting drainage in in South Florida in the, in the summertime, you are probably falling behind. It's just it is what it is.
0: Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Toro. Those big agricultural tractors you see working on golf courses, with their clutch and complicated lever pulling sequences, in a turf maintenance application, they're like stepping onto the first tee, not knowing which swing you have that day. Toro's new Outcross 9060 can do everything those clunky tractors can, but with tons less stress on the operator and on the turf. With the automotive controls and programmable attachment parameters, even rookies on the crew can be trusted with aerating, top dressing, mowing grass, loading sand, and removing snow from around the clubhouse in the winter. The Toro Outcross 9060 is like having all of your best golf shots saved, ready for use each and every round. Follow Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Now back to Tony Nice. So they, yeah, that's going to be one of my questions is it working at clubs that are predominantly winter clubs. What, what does summer look like for you? Like right now at
1: a mountain lake? So we are just started our fourth greens airification since I've been here. We pretty much are, we are closing nine holes every two weeks and airifying everything. Um, just, uh, excess thatch, if you will. Um, and, and we're, I mean, it's two to eight rounds a day right now. So having nine holes open isn't that big of a deal. Um, but some of it's just about understanding, you know, I I think there's going to be a time where some of the South Florida golf courses, um, have to, you know, members are staying down there. And and with this whole COVID thing, I, I think everybody seemed to, see their golf season last a little bit longer and it'll be interesting to see if it starts a little bit earlier. Um, and so, you know, when, when the deadline in South Florida was always November one, you got to be ready and you got to have all the pine straw beds cleaned up and your greens Heights where they got to be. And, um, you know, sometimes November is not a, not the easiest of months because it's still mid to high 80s. Sometimes the first couple weeks of November and, you know, you get members that come down. They've been playing on the the bent poas of the north that that don't even grow during the day, and they're running thirteen at four o'clock in the afternoon. And they come down to South Florida, and it's like greens are slow. <laughs> they're they're twelve. They're just, but they're growing during the day, you know. Um, but it's interesting. Just in, I I was at between Pine Tree and, and Old Marsh, uh, eleven years, and just seeing how the tolerance to play when it's hot is is was was okay. Um, they play in the morning, but they still, you know, a lot of people, uh, members, whether they play year round or whether they are seasonal, um, they still want it to be presented well. Um, and so how you juggle that aerification program to, to ensure the longevity of a golf course, um, is becoming, um, an interesting topic. Um, you know, the heel time of a big core verification is probably three weeks. Um, and you do that once or twice or, you know, two and a half times, if you will, in a, in a summertime and, and it eats up, you know, three to four months of the summer pretty quickly. And there, there's a couple different things that a lot of clubs are diving into. The, the dry jet process is fantastic um, to really pack that profile full of sand. And uh, but it, but it doesn't remove organic. And, and we, you know, we grow grass and grow organic material 10 to 12 months out of the year, depending on where you are in Florida. And, uh, you know, it, you don't want to turn customers away. You don't want to, you know, tell your membership that, you know, we just airified last week and the greens are bumpy, they're slow. And, um, you know, a lot of the members that come down <clears throat> don't see all that stuff that, that happens in the Northeast. You know, when they come down in mid-October and everyone in the Northeast starts airifying, they don't they don't see that portion of it. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's something I think they got to understand what, what the goal is and when you want to be your, your best condition. And even though you grow grass 12 months out of the year, it doesn't, it's, it's really not, uh, it's just not feasible to be conditioned 12 months out of the year, uh, 10 months out of the year. You got to have that downtime to poke some holes and, and rip up the Bermuda grass. I mean, a lot of guys you see, they, they take that Bermuda grass down to dirt, literally down to dirt. It's impressive.
0: With the big airification, er- the big core, I, I, what you touched on with the dry jack, you're not getting to mm-hmm. the organic matter or the thatch. And yep. and and that, it, I, I've recently talked to some people and just the, you know, the idea of you could have a great stretch of weather, but if your course has all that organic matter, that thatch, it's still not going to play firm and fast like the course that doesn't have that thatch, right? right.
1: Correct. Yep. So,
0: you're you're doing a big project that's going to ensure when you're at your best, your best is better than what it would be without that, right?
1: Correct. And and you know the thing that we face in Florida is that you know our our busy season in Florida. Let's say it's November to mid-April. November, December, and even part of January are very you know, the sun's up by seven thirty to eight o'clock and it's dark by five thirty. And And so, you know, you can do the numbers right there and that's, that's nine, maybe 10 hours of daylight, but it's not drying daylight. Um, it's not, uh, you know, you're not going to dry out because of one day in the sun that, that sun level is so low that while it's light out, it doesn't dry anything down. So, you know thatch can be extremely detrimental to turf in Florida in the winter months because we just don't dry down but yet that's the busiest time of year for us so the expectations are high you know green speeds they they want them a b c or d um but if you get damaged from it you just you're just not growing enough to really heal out of anything unless unless you're overseeded there's a little bit more you can do but you know it's there's a lot of ways to get around that now but you know it, it's it, you get damaged in this november and december or january even and you you're not going to really start healing out of it till till march 1 maybe is is kind of the the time so trying to get as much organic and thatch matter out of the top of of all your surfaces especially greens um is only going to help them dry down a little bit quicker than than uh, if they had to do it on their own cuz it just just doesn't dry down like uh a 75 degree day is not you're not going to all of a sudden be grabbing hoses and 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 touching everything up at the end of the day it just, it just doesn't dry down like um like like a, a sunny warm day might do i mean there's there's um there's days where you don't see the sun hardly get above the tree lines and it's just it's just what it is
0: and and those are the busiest days of traffic for for Florida yeah. too yeah Florida 100% people.
1: And it'll be interesting, you know, with, with the the COVID thing, do we do more people come to Florida because at least we can get outside, you know, you can get outside and golf here. You can't, you're not going to do that in Michigan where I'm, where my family's from, you're not going to do it in Chicago. And so do you have more down here and then, um, are are other rounds of golf higher? So what, what you're used to for rounds of golf, are they higher? Are we, are we having to be a little more cautious maybe? uh in the amount that we roll and the heights of cuts that we we play with to get to get to our speeds i mean it's uh to be an interesting season for that because um yeah it it uh what we've known to to come and to to position the turf for um
0: you know there's a lot of
1: golf courses doing record numbers in the northeast right now and and in the midwest just astronomical numbers um does that follow down here you you almost have to believe it does.
0: Yeah. I, you know, double double rounds of years before, you know, clubs yeah. that saw 8,000 rounds are going to see 20,000 yeah. rounds this year. Public golf courses. If you, I mean, I'm speaking from experience <laughs> with my buddies. If you don't book a time early in the week, you're not getting one on the weekend until no. 4 or 5 p.m. And, you know, it's, it's a great thing. But the other aspect of it is is also for you guys managing your workforce you know, mm-hmm. at a time where you have to be extremely careful and you're dealing mm-hmm. with, uh,
1: more play than you've ever dealt with. Well, I and mean, you're not, you know, you're not going to turn anybody away to play golf. I mean, the, the one good thing and, and, um, you know, hopefully some of the, uh, the associations that, that golf course superintendents work with can, can promote this, but I, I think it's been very, uh, loud and clear what the number one asset at a club is, um, it's the it's the golf course and um people are enjoying it and when the golf courses are busy because that's giving people something to do I, I think it's a fantastic thing and you know some guys get bent out of shape over some of the little things about golfers etiquette right now and stuff and i've always i always get remind. i always remind my staff about how uh how you know that kind of stuff affords us the 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 new equipment or a a pay raise or another another staff member or all those things and and um you know it is what it is and and we have to adjust too um we we have to be open-minded to to things because um it's just a it's a different world and and um we just have to be very diligent and and vigilant at the same time you know we it's what we know in the turf world and, and how we go about things, you know, I, we, we clean our equipment twice a day right now. We clean door handles in the maintenance facility before lunch and after lunch. And at the end of the day, and it's just all these little things that, you know, um, we have to protect our staff because if we don't have the staff, we're not going to be able to even make a dent in what they want to see on the golf course. And, and um, you know, I, I think being here at mountain Lake, I, I don't, I think our rounds will be similar just because it's a quieter club to begin with. Um, but I, I think, I think Florida is going to be a busy, epic center for golf this this coming winter which uh is, is a good thing for south florida and, and and central florida talk about uh
0: what excited you 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 made the switch to mountain lake this spring you know right kind of when the when the world was <laughs> you know changing uh talk about what excited you about about making the move from old marsh up to mountain lake
1: so when i when, when i was at Friars Head, um the assistant there um, Chris Barnacote was his name or is his name. He's in Maine now at I think Augusta country club. One of his close friends was Craig Currier at Bethpage and Craig had a dog named Tilly. And I always wanted to have a dog named after the golf course I worked at. So I ended up having a Wilson, but I always wanted to name. I always thought I was going to name my first dog Rainer. Mm-hmm. I love Seth Rainer. He's my, he's my guy. We, I, I I love his architecture. And I always kind of, I, I, I remember golfing with Jim Yance, the old, uh, former, uh, golf, or I'm sorry, superintendent at Yeaman's hall. And we were playing long Cove, and, and he, we were on the 18th hole and, and he turns around and says, I think, I think it's safe to say that Pete Dye was a modern day Rainer you know, with some of the angles and, and, and the, the abruptness of some of the, you know, the, the, the bunker faces and, and, and certain other things that you can connect between the two. And so I just fell in love with Rainer and, um, you know, there's only, there's only two of them here in Florida. Um, mountain lake is quite a quiet club. You know, Silva did the work here back in oh two oh three, and, uh, kind of reinstated a lot of the Rainer, um, template stuff. Um and, and kind of you know opened the eyes to a lot of uh golfers and, and members of what how special Rayner really is and, and you know the, the work that he did because he, he was certainly didn't design nearly the courses that Ross did. You know there's there's a small a small template of of holes that or, or golf courses that Rayner worked on. And we're we're excited for the future with uh, w- with Gil. Uh, he's going to start working on the master plan for us this this winter. Um, but an opportunity to be at one of two Rainer courses in South, or I'm sorry, in Central Florida. Um, that just there, this this place just oozes coolness. It's just something about this place that's just it's just cool. It's non pretentious. Um, the people here know they got something special, but it's not something it's not a badge of honor when they when they are on property here um it's just a everything flows here it's like a step back in time um you know there's a lot of um Yeomans Hall halls is as simple a, a, as a reflection i can make on on mountain lake and there's a reason for that there's a lot of um connections between the and here and how it was built and who who was behind it at the time and um just an opportunity to uh, you know, be a caretaker for something so cool. Um, Just really uh, just grabbed me and I couldn't turn it away. And uh, the more I thought about it for longevity, the more I thought about it for uh, future projects with uh, what they have coming down the pipeline here Uh, and and the interest to uh, have an opportunity to work with Gil and, and his guys about, you know, really, turning back the clock here and, and, and grabbing some of the things that were original here. There's a lot of original photos. There's a lot of uh, original um, books and, and stuff here. So there's a lot, they did a really good job of documenting the place um, going back almost a hundred years now and just uh, an opportunity to be a caretaker. I think, I think any superintendent that really enjoys architecture uh, wants to be entrusted to be that kind of caretaker. And I, man, it, it grabbed me pretty, pretty easy.
0: Yeah. It's gotta be exciting to have new projects to work on. And I imagine, you know, doing the old marsh, the, that was a big extensive project was really mm-hmm. rewarding. And, mm-hmm. and to a certain extent that project work is a it break, a break from monotony of just, you know, the, you know, keeping on the same things every day, that project work really allows you new kind of, Thoughts and ability to do something differently every once in a while.
1: One hundred percent. I, you know, and that's that's always the. By the time that I start getting, oh man, I shouldn't say bored, but a little monotonous with the general maintenance. It, it's it's um, you know, it's the end of the season. We're starting to aerify and we're starting to make changes, and you know, mow lines or you know, reconstructing some bunkers or something like that. That just kind of changes our mode, and now. Now going into our fourth verification I'm I'm starting to starting to go the other way now. Like man, I just want to mow some grass for one of these days to be nice. Um, but I think that's the cool thing um, that some of these uh, these clubs that work with architects that understand what they have and continue to put it in the capital investments, um, you know, to continually enhance things and continue to. Uh, make improvements are are really you know as a superintendent it's awesome to be part of it expands um kind of our knowledge uh makes us uh puts more tools in our pockets if you will um you know and 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 it all kind of started you know pine tree is that similar way you know when i was there we ron force was brought back in he did the work there in 97 and we brought him back in in 2013 he developed a master plan and every summer that i was there we pecked away at certain things on the master plan. And then um, when, when I went to old marsh, obviously we did a major renovation there, but there was, there was already a template of three, four, five years out. It's subtle things, cart path things. Um, and then here, you know, I, when, when Gil does the master plan and, and how it, how it comes to fruition and little things, I, I have no doubt that it'll be a very similar program. And we, we dive in and um, I don't, I don't get the impression it'll be a full kind of blow up. I think it's going to be more uh, things that we work on in time, whether it's uh, bunker adjustments or you know tee ground surrounds and trying to get the tees flatter and, and mowing patterns, and then um, you know hopefully recapture some of the, the the edges of some of the greens and stuff like that, and kind of um, tie in some of the Rainer stuff a little bit cleaner, maybe. Um, and so I think it keeps superintendents driving. I think it, you know, it, it, uh, it allows us to get out of the normal routine, um, if you will. And, uh, it shows our value. I mean, we're, we're superintendents are flexible. We, We, um, I think the more interest in architecture and construction you can do, the more valuable you are to your employer. And, um, you know it it, again going back to it i've been fortunate to be at clubs that that understand what they have and want to continue to invest in it and make it better or or preserve it if you will um that was always one thing a couple places i worked at are preserving what was the original architectural intent i mean um and I'm glad to be at another one.
0: Mountain Lake and the history of golf in Polk County is so interesting just from the standpoint of almost every great golden age architect built a course down there. And obviously, yep. unfortunately, you know, a lot of them have either been lost or, or just shells of what they are, but mountain Lake like it it showcases why it became such a hotbed for design in the golden age is that, unbelievable topography and 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 just you know pure sand and it it could be another place where you have you know a resurgence maybe eventually of great golf
1: yeah you know it's it's interesting because um my my family um we had a place in sarasota so we went to lakeland a lot um as kids watched the detroit tigers play baseball uh in the spring and I'd only driven through this area once or twice uh, when I came to South Florida from Colonial back in 09. And the difference from that time period to today, 10, 12 years later, completely different area. And um, while some may still think it's it's, um, you know, kind of. Kind of off the beaten path, if you will. Um, it is much more populated than what it was, and I, and I think I think you're going to see Lakeland still extend. I think you're going to see Orlando continue to go south, and, and which is good for us. I, I think you're going to keep picking up, you know, members here and there, non-residents to start, um, and, and those that really want to be centrally located but want to be at a just a really cool club that is not. You know, not your Orlando kind of club, and not not a Tampa club. That and no knock on those. I got I got good friends, and there's some great golf course in the area. But Mount Mountain Lakes is a different place where um, it's just uh, it just it just reeks of coolness, and it's hard to de- hard to describe.
0: So tell tell us about how you got into uh, Golf Club Atlas in the early days. <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious about how you stumbled upon on uh. that. You know,
1: I, Golf Club Atlas is, is a, um, you know, like every, every great club, they go through changes. And some of the reasons that people go, you know, become a member at X club, they, you know, it it can, they think it changes and they end up leaving and, and, um, you know, Mount or I'm sorry, Golf Club Atlas is, is different than it was, uh, I'm dating myself here almost 20 years ago, but that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, I think it was kind of, uh, it it was kind of that, um, when you said golf club Atlas, you know, you either knew about golf club Atlas or you didn't know anything about golf club Atlas. Um, and, and I think the coolness about it way back in the day was that was the intention. You didn't, you know, it was a little cult, if you will, like, you know, something you don't tell your wife about and you, you go talk to your, your boys about, and, um, I got turned on to it kind of shortly after I went to Michigan State um kind of I remember it kind of by accident and it just kind of suited me to I'm hours and hours on that website learn about golf courses and um that was back in the day of Gib and um Tom Paul when they were you know very very uh involved um contributors um Tommy was on there a lot um mm-hmm. and uh you know, where 1,500 members, that was it. And, and uh, you know, you, you really had to kind of go through the, the, the ringer to even get accepted and get a password from Ran or, or uh, even John at the time. And um, so, you know, that kind of opened my eyes. And in, in, in hindsight, I, I owe a lot, of, uh, a lot of people I met on there, helped me out along the way, or given me information about golf courses that I was I was interested in, learning more about. Um, certainly, <clears throat> you know, help me out with Friar's head. Cause, um, you know, I, they're just people that have always been willing to give out information of, Hey, you got to call this person or, um, you know, I'll, I'll gladly host you if you're ever in town. Um, you know, that, those sorts of things that long before social media and, and Twitter and Instagram, and some of these other, uh, uh, platforms came available, um, that was just a great avenue for meeting people and, and and having doors opened about architecture and and golf courses and, and not necessarily access in the sense of like, I'm in town, I want to play golf, but just, you know, tell me about the bones of the place. Tell me about the, you know, um, they're looking for an assistant. What, what's the problem? You know, can you put me in contact with the superintendent? What, you know, certain little things like that, that just, um, Long before the simplicity of social media um, than it is now, and uh, I still check every day. I don't. I don't participate nearly as much in, um, on Golf Club Atlas as I once did. Uh, for I just I don't have the time anymore. I got a two and a half year old daughter and new job and, and those sorts of things. But um, I I certainly wouldn't know nearly what I think I know about architecture uh, if it wasn't for for Golf Club Atlas.
0: Yeah i it, i was uh, i was a kid that used to i never was a member i was just read the the, <laughs> the message for It, it as like a, i was in college and you know so i was such I'm a cool sure guy I, I, <laughs> you know, yeah I'm, I'm
1: pretty sure i'm pretty sure my grades in college could have been much better if i didn't have hours and hours on gca uh while i was at michigan state i have no doubt that absorbed a lot of my study time
0: it that. It was the, you know, really the first where the sharing and spreading of information, which is, you know, incredible. You still go on there. I I was looking for a map the other day and they have that great thread of all the routing maps on there. Yeah. Like, you know, and I I hadn't found it, but I was only, you know, 10, 10 pages of a 70 thread thing with all these old routing maps and in the process i you know i i clicked and saved like six other ones you
1: know <laughs> and it's always cool every once in a while you'll see a thread come up that you know dates back to 2006 or 2004 or something like that and then you come across something that you personally wrote back then and you're like oh my gosh what an idiot i wish i could delete that and I, <laughs> you know just but but it, it it's just really cool how you know so much is there and now it's you know it's it's borderline a household name um when it comes to golf course websites and and architectural websites i don't i don't really know of one that i would put on the same pedestal as golf Club Atlas.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah it, it's a it's a tremendous resource and you know the uh you don't necessarily want to wade into that discussion board all that much. You know
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you gotta be prepared to put a bulletproof vest on now. Back in back in the day it was a little more um, oh man, more informative in a sense of we were all kind of learning and now it's you know, you 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 spell F A Z on, on a discussion board and you're gonna you're gonna get drug over the coals and you didn't even finish it with an I and an O and <laughs> someone's ready to go after you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, But the the information is just out of this world. And that's, yes. you know, the 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 people that have spent so much time contributing <laughs> to it is it, it just it you know, if I was if I was a superintendent at, you know, I took a job somewhere. The first thing I'd probably do would be to search that to see what historical anecdotes that people have posted over the years there.
1: I would be lying if Mountain Lake wasn't typed in the search function. uh probably within the hour of me finding out this position was available just to see recent photos or who says what about, I always knew it was a special place. And, um, but I'd be lying too, as, as much as I thought I knew about architecture, I, I didn't, I didn't know about mountain Lake when I moved to Florida in, Oh, I think Oh nine, I came here from Texas. Um, so I didn't know about mountain Lake then. And, uh, so over the years, being in Florida and, and seeing rankings and you know under, trying to understand Rainer a little bit more and other, other golden age architects, um, that, that search function became real real handy uh, for me, and especially even just researching this position here and you know the uh, understanding the template holes and, and what hole numbers were what. Um, yeah, that search function probably probably in the first hour uh, was used for, for Mountain Lake.
0: What's what's been the coolest thing that you've learned about Mountain Lake since you've been there or during the process of interviewing? The or
1: coolest was. thing is there you know the 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 membership here is when they sincerely ask you how you're doing, it's a it's not a in passing question. Um there's really good people here and you know, it's easy for an employee, if you will, to, to say that about any uh, to be politically correct, but there's a genuine uh, like. I, I mean, I'm I, I've had a member offer up their cottage for me since I since I took the position here. While my family and I've you know are, are looking at houses uh, from Palm Beach, and um, you know, there's just a general really sincere um, membership here that understands what they have they're not they don't want to change a lot of the stuff here you know they want to make it better but there's a certain vibe that this place has that they don't want to change that and when you when you look at ultra modern this and and ultra um extreme here it's nothing about Mount lake that's that way they're very comfortable in who they are they're very proud of who they are Um, and it's just a very, oh man, it's just a very cool place to be a part of, you know, the architectural part, um, you know, they, they're members at other clubs up North and North Carolina and, and, uh, Connecticut and, and, and none of them come from a specific type of club that you would go, oh yeah, that's a, you know, that's a mountain lake member over there. They come from everywhere up North, but they all come here and, and have a similar interest in this place. And it's, it's, it's a big property. It's, it's uh, you know, expansive property surrounded by orange groves and there's not a lot of houses here. There's 115, 120 houses here. Uh, so for the size of the property, it, it's not a lot of houses. It's spaced out really well. So it doesn't feel like you're on top of each other. Um, but you know, the simplicity and the, the coolness of the architecture, I know I, I keep saying that word, Uh, it's just unlike anything in Florida. It's not, it's different than the Everglades. Um, you know, the, the way when I first, it's interesting. My, I think the coolest thing here is, is all the, all the money, time and effort that we put into raising everything, uh, at old Marsh. The first week I was here, we took two and a half inches of rain in one afternoon. And my first thought was, oh man, we're going to be carts only tomorrow. (laughs) And the assistant here told me, he's like, nah, we're fine. Don't worry about it. And we mowed fairways the next day and I was like, I can get used to this. Yeah. This is nice. This is really great. And um you know, just just things like that that you don't think about sometimes that just enhance this place and not to take it out of the you know, there's just not a bad day here. I just I, I have a hard time imagining being a member at Mount Lake. There's a there's a bad day. Um, it's just, uh, it's just a step back in time. It's really awesome.
0: You make it a- accomplish one of my, uh, one of my dreams is that I, I, I really want to just, when it's just monsooning out, go sit at a Rainer punch bowl and watch it drain. It,
1: it's, it's amazing. Uh, it, it It is. I mean, we've taken, we've taken some heavy, heavy hitters. I mean, it rained two inches in about an hour on Sunday night, and I'm here by the 13th green and 13th green looked like the pond by seven green. And an hour later, I hardly tell it rained. It, the, the place drains fantastic. It's just, um, and we mowed fairways and rough the next day and I don't, we hardly think about it anymore. It's, it's, it's great coming from a, a place in the marsh and to, to here, um, it, uh, it's certainly, certainly a, a good problem to have if you will.
0: Amazing story. I, I was with, uh, kyle France, uh who is mm-hmm. who's doing the restoration work at at country club of uh charleston now yeah. and he was telling me he was building a practice screen and obviously they're kind of in a tidal marsh and they have flooding yeah. issues it's very low set right on the marsh level and uh he was building this practice screen and he was thinking like I don't know how high I should build this thing, and and he just went over and he looked at the the nearest Rainer green, and he saw the the height that the Rainer built it, and he's like, you know what, that's probably the right height, and he built it probably right. So he built it the right height. Sure enough, they have a crazy historic flood, and his practice green is is perfect. You know, not did not get covered in water at all, and it's because Rainer just the guy was an engineering genius.
1: Yes. Yes, they built it, built it out of the water, water line. You know, and, and it's interesting. I, I, one of the last places I visited before I left uh, Long Cove for Colonial is, is, when Silva was doing the work at Country Club at Charleston back in, I guess it'd be 07 now, and just how flat that property was, but yet all these little blurps, all these little blurps of bunker noses and, and greens, and you just kind of look at it and go, if they ever got a king tide or if they ever had a, you know, a, a Cat One hurricane. It probably wouldn't, uh, un- unlike, you know, what happened to the lost dunes over the years and what they've struggled with at Keough Island, you know, it, all the, all those features would still be probably have their their, uh, their necks out of the water yet. And that, it makes sense. You know, you look at Rainer a tw- hundred years ago and it's got to be part of the reason he did it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's genius. So it, we'll get you out of here. We need one Kyle Hegland story since you guys were roommates <laughs> in, in college. Obviously, I have a former po- podcast guest, hopefully a future podcast guest for around two. But I need a little. I need a little Kyle Hegland uh, ammo.
1: So he became his first year at, at uh, Michigan State. He became close friends with a uh, Keith Krause.
0: I know and Keith
1: quite well. You know Keith? Okay. Oh yeah.
0: Well, he's he's so, in Chicago with
1: me. He's a Chicagoland guy. So he he his family had a summer home i believe this is how it is his family had a summer home up by crystal downs and keith ended up uh interning for mike morris up there uh and the first second third weekend back our second year kyle went up there and you know everything was the downs the downs the downs the downs the downs and i and i, I think it just stirred kyle's emotions about architecture he had he'd had already worked at um Austin Golf Club for Doug Peterson at the time and got to meet Ben. And, um, they talked about the downs and the downs and downs. And, and Kyle was my actual roommate at school. Um, and, and so we had, we both had that connection that, um, we had worked at Cooper Crenshaw courses, uh, for our internships. And I want to say he was, he was either reading the Riviera book or the Donald Ross book. And I remember him crystal clear saying, someday I want to be the superintendent of Sand Hills. And my first thought was like, Man, I know you're from Wisconsin and everything, but you know where Mullen, Nebraska is? Like, that is it's the it's gotta be a mile marker and it's gotta be 60 yards or 60 miles to the nearest Walmart. I mean, there's nothing out there. And you know, lo and behold, he, he did his time at at Austin golf club and, and whatnot. And, and I remember the day I had heard he got the position at Sand Hills Man, it's 10 years ago now, maybe something like that. And I just kind of chuckled to myself because that, that was his dream. He wanted to be there and, and he's done awesome stuff since then. He followed a, uh, followed a great uh, lineage of, of superintendents that had done good work there and, and, and uh, left a pretty good plate for him to work on. But he, his love for architecture, that whole Alistair McKenzie, Crystal Downs lineage to, to Sand Hills, and it really sparked, I think it really enhanced his interest in architecture. And from then there, him and I have always had a, an interest in architecture. And we spent, I, I, I can't remember, we both took the architecture class taught by a Jerry Matthews um, associate. And I remember us both. We we signed so kind of. There's line.
0: an architecture class at Michigan State. There, there was,
1: yeah. Our second, our Man, second year, first semester, and I thought that was going to be the best class ever. Like I'm, I'm ready for this. This is what I do. This is what I want to do. I got all these church bulletins to go off of, to to, to to pull knowledge from. And I remember, I know I did it, and I and I, I dare say Kyle did it too. We got docked down for building a blind par four. It was not a perfectly viewed green from the fairway. We built a blind par four where you had to, you know, similar to number five at Old Marsh or something like that. And I remember just thinking, this is the one class where I've been looking forward to for a year. And I spent so much time on on the draws, and we compared notes, and you know we had the swiggly bunkers, the the Jeff Bradley esque kind of bunkers, blowouts, and everything. And and uh, I remember I'm I'm confident I know I didn't get an A in that class, and I'm confident to say he got docked down for not building a perfect template style green with a perfect cookie cutter bunker and a perfect uh, you know a contour cut fairway and all that stuff. And it is it is what it is, but. I, I think, I think that that time together enhanced our, our interest in architecture, um, uh, tremendously. And, and I think, you know, Kyle, Kyle's done some awesome stuff at, at Sand Hills, and, um, it's cool to see, you know, some of the cool stuff and some of the guys that have, he's worked with that have come through there. And, uh, you know, how much of a hardhead he was in school sometimes. And, uh, the, the, the guy just gets it. He's, he's, uh, he's fantastic.
0: It's, uh, you know, it ties the conversation perfectly back because I think you just explained the difference between Jerry Matthews architecture and Mike <laughs> DeVries architecture and the process. Yeah.
1: I, I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll connect those final two dots there. That's, that's, uh, I remember being so hurt when I got my grade back. I was so hurt, but <laughs> oh well i i got over it pretty quick i
0: you know grading architecture would be extremely difficult
1: yeah i'm like who are you to grade my architecture
0: <laughs> i mean <laughs> that's, that's all good all right um well hey this has been fun i i will have to do a part two someday you know, hopefully in in better times where we can do it in person and uh sure you know maybe over a beer but I, I really appreciate the time congratulations on the new job and and I can't wait to see what you guys do down there at mountain lake it's uh it's one of my favorite places in Florida
1: thank you so much